Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we're your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle, um, we're, we're leaving Pixar behind Kind of. Kind of. We've got some more Pixar stuff. Uh, we're coming off the heels of a Coco dub, which, <laughs> you know, always, I'm always a little iffy on, but sure. uh, <laughs> it, it might come back this week. Yeah, it might come back because we are talking the most underrated Disney song for these two weeks of this bracket. We have 16 classified underrated Disney songs chosen by our demographic. And you know, there's there's a lot of greatness on here, to be honest. There's a lot of deep cuts as well. If you're a big Disney fan, you're going to recognize a lot of these. And if you're not, then you might be educated on some of them. And I'm excited to dive into it. And here to help us decide what is the most underrated Disney song is the Coco Fanatic himself. It is our buddy from the baseball world. It is Joey. Joey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I'm actually kind of offended that a Coco song made it on underrated. I just, I just widely assume that every single song was respected as it should have been respected. I mean, when when they're coming out with "Remember Me" as their banger, then everything is gonna kind of feel underrated after that. Um, Joey, this is your first time on Mouse Madness. I want to hear a little bit about your Disney fandom, if any. I know, I know you have a very specific Disney fandom, and I, I want you to yeah. talk about it. Yeah, I, I first thing I said to you when I got on here is that it's already off to a bad start because I lost my Grogu shirt. So that, that's like <laughs> upsetting. But I think that's where like that's kind of really kind of sets the tone of where my fandom's at. Because if you're usually like a huge Grogu fan, like you're pretty entry level Disney fan. <laughs> I feel like I feel like it's a fair assessment if you're obsessed with Grogu um, sure. like I am. But yeah, I think actually you in the office are the one that challenged me to immerse myself more in Disney. I went to Disneyland for the first time like like really right when the pandemic started. Right. So, um, hmm. yeah. And it was like, it was, it changed my life. It was great. Um, <laughs> it was, it was, it was amazing. I wouldn't say I'm like a Disney expert by any means, but I've definitely seen a lot more Disney stuff now than I have like in recent, my, my recent life. I didn't grow up watching much Disney, but yeah, sure. definitely Coco fanatic, Grogu Star Wars fanatic always been, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's kind of where my fandom is. So sorry to disappoint people, but that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> I don't think you're disappointing people. I think you're disappointing Chris Bauer songs. I mean, whenever there's two Coco fans on one episode, it's like like cards are already stacked against me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if you guys are split and Coco song is one of them, like you're and you're on the other side, you're definitely taking the L on that one. <laughs> the tiebreaker is always going to Coco. <laughs> <laughs> it has been set. It has been set yeah. in stone. 
But a lot of these, well, a lot of these decisions will be a vibe check. It's right. purely a vibe check. That's hey, sure. That's what we love. Um, I mean, I can already tell I'm gonna need uh maybe a couple of spoonfuls of sugar uh <laughs> to get me through this bracket. So uh, let's let's just uh, talk about it. What do we got in our cups today, Kyle? We'll start with you. I have created yet another cocktail just out of the things that I had in my cabinet. And this one involves a little white rum, a little Midori, a little pineapple juice, and that's it. Put it into a shaker, shake it on up. It is once again a green drink. Um, I haven't tasted it yet, but you can kind of assume that white rum, melon liqueur, and pineapple is probably going to taste pretty good. And you'd be right. That is delicious. And so for this episode, in honor of one of the songs in the bracket, I am calling this Ma Belle Evangel Green because of its green color. Chris, what are you drinking tonight? I'll start by saying we don't condone drinking in public on this podcast. <laughs> when I used to attend my roommate's flag football games in college, uh, it was Friday afternoon around two o'clock and our go-to beverage was gin and Sprite. And you could just put it right there in the Sprite bottle yeah. and drink it right there on the field and no one would know any wiser. So uh, I kind of call it, kind of followed that tradition. Uh, as we know, uh, I'm moving across country, so alcohol cabinet is getting thin. Um, but I, too, had some Midori left in my cabinet. So nope. I went ahead and made a Sprite and Midori. Uh, so I got a green drink as well. Oh. And um, the, the other green thing on this bracket is uh, the Trolls from um, Frozen. Yep. And, and people tend to colloquially refer to their song as just the troll song. So right. that's what I'm going to call this beverage. <laughs> uh, Joey, what about you? Um, all I have in my liquor closet uh, is whiskey. And uh, I have some Centauri. And then I have uh, Conor McGregor whiskey, of course, which of course. is not really appropriate for a Disney podcast. So I didn't go that route. I went with just a beer today. But I will say this is the first time I've had an alcoholic butt beverage in several months. So if I start slurring my words at any point, I think you have the eject button on the Zoom. So <laughs> feel free to, to go for that. You know what's yeah. funny about you being a big Grogu fan and then also having the Conor McGregor whiskey is that we did a best Grogu moment bracket and our guest host who works for the Yankees was drinking Conor McGregor whiskey and had just a ton of Grogu stuff. Shout out Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you guys will be best friends. Yeah. <laughs> I will say the best drink experience I've ever had actually was in the uh, Star Wars Cantina at Disneyland. Uh, yeah, yeah, I just took a sip and my face was numb. I got like the <laughs> bubbles on my lips and like my nose. And every part of my face was numb. And it was just, it was the most pleasurable experience. And then I think I had ended up having a few of them. And I like asked the bartender like what planet we were on, and I was like, "Are we on Tatooine?" He was like, "Oh, you're lost in the galaxy, brother." <laughs> it was just, it was just, uh, it was great. Yeah, moment I'll take with me forever. Ogus Cantina, <laughs> top tier, top tier. One of these days Amazing. we'll do a best Disney drink bracket, but that's when we can get back to the parks. All right, it's that time again. <laughs> everyone's favorite segment uh the pull of the pod we have dedicated our lives to finding the disneyland 50th anniversary tops card that represents tom morrow from the interventions attraction and the rocket to the moon 
attraction. This is an animatronic that is very bizarre looking. The card is very bizarre. And we've been pulling packs of these Topps 50th anniversary Disneyland cards in a search for it. Once we find Tom, that's it. We'll we'll stop doing this. But we're we're dedicated <laughs> now and we're in it. We'll and never this stop. Is, and this is it feels like we'll never stop because we haven't found him yet. But we've also saw some pretty cool cards along the way. So let's get into this week's pull of the pod. First card is a beauty and pretty timely. It is 1955's debut attraction of the Jungle Cruise. Oh, yeah. Appropriate. Pretty good. Black and white photo of one of the boats. Same thing on the back, just with the a front face of the boat. Um, yeah, pretty great. That's a very, very solid card. Next up, another debut attraction, 1977's Space Mountain. Ooh. On the front, you've got Space Mountain lit up. Looks like it's a it's it's purple pink. You got the the Space Mountain sign out front without any of the hyperspace mountain or the the ghost galaxy space mountain stuff on it. It's just the normal space mountain. And then on the inside is a black and white photo of the cars, of the rocket card cars. Hmm. So there's that. Oh, we got another debut attraction. And actually, one of the songs on this bracket is featured in this attraction. It is 2001's The Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. I did not think that's what the card would be when you said there's a song in an attraction. Wow. Uh, we got the the marquee out front with Pooh and Piglet and Tigger and ER on the front. And then we've got uh, Pooh's birthday party scene on the back. Uh, I wish it was Pooh's acid trip on the back, but we'll deal with it. And then our final non-attraction poster is not Tom Morrow. So you'll be seeing this segment once again. <laughs> man but this last card is a great moment and it is the party girl parade oh wow it's you i i thought you were gonna say great moments with mr lincoln but party gras <laughs> is one of my all-time favorites that song gets a lot of play in my household oh yeah i mean it's a great soundtrack uh, the 30th anniversary of disneyland was celebrated with this party gras parade and on the front is one of the big blow-up balloon mickeys mm -hmm. and on the back it's literally the same photo um, this larger than life parade extravaganza featuring six 37 foot Disney character balloon floats, it says on the back. And for our attraction poster, it is the Golden Horseshoe Review, the grandest show in the West, presented by Kodak. I've never seen this poster before. Um, yeah. I have nothing to say about it because that that's a whack attraction poster. But Tom Morrow has not been found. So you will be hearing us talk about this again on the next episode in which we find to try to find that elusive, elusive character. But Chris, Stephen Demographic, who helped us choose these 16 underrated Disney songs? There are just moments in like Disney lifestyle, Disney culture, Disney news where demographics just... They just announce themselves and they show up in <laughs> droves. And that happened this week, a few days ago, uh, before we recorded this episode, uh, Disney announced the Genie, Genie Plus and Lightning Lane systems that Ugh. sort of replace FastPass slash sort of just kind of tweak it a little bit at the end of the day. Um, and everyone who's ever been to a Disney park had opinions on it. So we went around and asked folks uh, what their 
what they think the most underrated Disney song is. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I'm pro or con any of this stuff yet. Like, I need to get my hands on it. Yeah. I mean, listen, if you're a Disneyland goer, Genie Plus is just Max Pass. It is, like, basically the same thing. So, essentially, your life shouldn't change a ton. What's going to change is these larger attractions that they're going to make you pay to get that Fast Pass reservation per attraction. So Radiator, Radiator Springs Racers, no more virtual queue, no more running through the park to try and get that Fast Pass at the Fast Pass machine. Uh, you got to pay extra for it, and they haven't said what it is. Uh, Walt Disney World, they eliminate the need to uh, book your Fast Passes 90 days in advance. So like, if you weren't a fan of that, that's kind of dope. Um, but it definitely changes the system over there. So... You know, I'm not I've I've begun to take the mentality of like any of these parks announcements. Me being upset about it is not going to change it. I don't really care anymore. Like the, the it's just the policies that they're going to be enforcing. It's just going to be the new products that they're trying try to push. It's just going to um, you know, it, it's just going to influence how often I get to the parks now. And you know, I was only going once a year maybe to begin with, so now I just have to budget in this genie plus stuff um but if there was ever a plug to come join our discord server when this news <laughs> dropped we were on it baby <laughs> our, our server was popping off we had tess in there letting us know what the deets are we had mandy dropping jokes and memes we had michael giving us the east coast uh, perspective so if there was ever a time to jump into this discord it's as these parks reopen up to whatever post-pandemic in 2023 <laughs> will look like so um join us it's really fun over there joey uh did you get a chance to ride the millennium falcon smugglers run and or the star wars rise of the resistance attractions when you were there at galaxy's edge yeah yeah i went to uh i think smugglers run um and like the millennium falcon yeah it was falcon it was uh it was life-changing, really. I mean, Star Wars <laughs> Star Wars is one of my all-time favorite franchises ever. Um especially for like something sci-fi, so great. Oh yeah. yeah. So so like how how much would you pay to to Ooh. ride that attraction one time as like a casual Disney park goer who doesn't go every single month or anything like that? Like maybe you go a few t- if like once every few years. How much are you willing to pay to get on that attraction? Just that attraction. Just that one. One ride. I would I would probably, I think I would uh, $25, $25. Yeah. All right. Oh, baby. I hope Disney's not listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. Definitely. Okay. It was totally worth it. Yeah, I loved it. It was awesome. Okay. That's, that's even just like, great insight. I think I would pay that because I think even part of the experience getting up to the, um, like actually ride it was like how cool it was standing inside of the attraction and like seeing all the like little intricate details and the characters walking around. I think that added to the experience beyond the ride. So I guess thinking of it from like the rides, what, like 15 minutes at most, uh, but like standing in lines an additional 35 to 40 or whatever it was that 35 to 40 weight was like the best weight that I've probably ever been a part of. So, I mean, all of that tied together, just like looking at stuff, seeing like your childhood visuals come to life was pretty cool. So I, yeah. I would probably pay 25 for that. That if if I could plug one uh, channel, one creator that's not us, uh, Coast Tunes on YouTube produced a great video a couple of days ago 
Uh, he does like video essays, super small channel, but he was talking about kind of like the balance between people who attend parks casually, don't keep up with theme park news, don't know ride manufacturers versus people who are like super heavy users that are very ingrained in like the culture and kind of like those people that attend the parks the most are less willing to open up their pockets. And so they think that they, because they go so much, they have more like spending power when really they don't. No, not, not at all. How much would you pay Chris to go on like radiator Springs racers for that one time a day? Like two bucks. Wow. Maybe like I would top out at like five for rise of the resistance. So would you show up and just... Now, if I had never been on the attraction before, I might might go up to like 20 to get on it once. Sure. No, I'm asking like you as the park goer who you are now. You'd pay two bucks. Or just not go on it. Just not go on it. Yeah, or just not... I mean, yeah, I would probably not go on it. But if you were like, you got to spend something on this, it would would be like $2. Because I just don't need to. Yeah. I think... I'd max out at six. Right. So like, there you go. I mean, I, they're, they're not stupid. Like, (laughs) like their, their Intel is telling them that people will pay much more than that. which is why they did it. So, um, we'll see how it shakes out. We'll see how it affects like queue lengths. That's kind of the thing I'm, I'm most interested in. Like, is it going to keep people out of queues? Is it going to keep people moving quickly through queues? Is it going to make, the like normal park footpath super crowded because people aren't waiting in line. I don't know. I, I don't know. This it, this is like a truly like tumultuous time for like Disney parks and uh, how to Disney park. So well, jokes on you guys because I took advantage of your guys's audience and I wanted to monetize this opportunity. So I actually <laughs> partnered with Disney to get paid to oh. answer that question the oh, way okay. I did. <laughs> yeah. So this was just a way for me to capitalize. You know, on this opportunity, on this platform. We should have known. We should have known when you showed so much interest. I infiltrated it, yeah. yeah. You did it. You did it. <laughs> All right, y'all. Before we get on to our field of 16 most underrated Disney songs we will be discussing, we got to talk about some that just missed the dance. There are hundreds of songs produced uh, by Disney in the Disney library over the years, so there were plenty to choose from. Kyle, what are a couple that come to mind for you? Underrated songs. Number one is Down in New Orleans from Princess and the Frog. Randy Newman, Dr. John, the legendary jazz musician who recently passed away in the last two years or so. Um, That song is just a complete, complete vibe. And then my second one is also a very, very good standalone song, and it is Eye to Eye from a Goofy Movie. Another Powerline mm-hmm. song. Um, I love that song. That's probably in my like top five favorite songs of all time. So wow. for it to be uh, missing out of this underrated, like I get it. Goofy Movie is not one that you really think of when it comes to Disney songs and Disney movies and, and all of that. But the, one of them did make it on, so I'm excited to talk about it. Um, Chris. What about for you? Uh, If you listen to this podcast regularly, you all know I am a huge fan of all things Frozen. Frozen 1, Frozen 2, Frozen the Broadway Musical, Frozen Shorts, Frozen VR Experiences, Frozen Attractions. If there is a Frozen TV series, I will watch it on Disney+. Um, And I just think 
everything is just so well done. Every song of from all of the things. I love all of them. Um, but one of them that I think is the one that is most overlooked, uh, definitely the first song from the first Frozen movie, Frozen Heart, which is where all of the dudes are like chopping the ice. Oh. Um, and it's kind of like a, I don't know. It's like a chant almost, isn't it? It's, a, it's almost like a chant. And it's not super fun to listen to. Um, <laughs> and it really is forgettable the first time you watch the movie. But if you go back and listen to the song after you know what the movie's about, it is a really great thesis statement for the movie. I think it sets up everything uh, really well. Other song for me that missed the dance, uh, One Last Hope from Hercules. I think for the most part, like most 90s Disney music is overrated, but uh, this this song that Phil sings uh, from Hercules is just not very good, uh, <laughs> but it is... It is performed by the incomparable Danny DeVito, of course. who like anything that man does, uh, I love it. It's Always Sunny <laughs> in Philadelphia is a top three TV show of all time for me. Uh, and so I like went on YouTube because we pushed back our recording a little bit and I just punched in Danny DeVito singing and like, <laughs> it's great. There was, a, there was a video of him and Bruce Springsteen at the 2010 New Jersey Hall of Fame ceremony. And they were like, they were like doing a duet of that song they always play at baseball games. I can't remember what it's called, but so funny. He's not a very good singer, but like he, had, like he has great comedic timing. So I appreciate, uh, appreciate the effort from Danny DeVito. Uh, Joey, uh, what about you? You got any Miss the Dance? Well, I was going to bring up one song, but it was on your best of songs, which is Hawaiian roller coaster uh, ride just because Lilo and Stitch is an underrated movie. And I feel like, although I'm not a Disney fan, like or I am now, but I wasn't traditionally, that was the one song I remember or my, one movie I remember from my childhood and sure. Hawaiian roller coaster ride is still on my gym playlist and it still <laughs> gets me moving every time. And so I, I, I was going to go with Hawaiian roller coaster ride, but as I've been informed, it rightfully was on the best Disney song. It was. It was. Um, Joey, do I have a cover for you? Hawaiian (laughs) roller coaster ride. Jump five. I'm going to listen to it right now. Okay. Enjoy that as we get this, uh, these intros going because we've talked a lot about jump five recently. We've talked a lot about Disney songs recently, but now we're going to be talking about the most underrated Disney song. This is live action. This is animated. This is even Pixar. This is encompassing the entire company. Uh, We're loving it. It's going to be good. So let's go ahead and cue that dramatic music. And here we go. Cue the space beeps and alien boops coming in at number one from Toy Story. It's Strange Things. Whistling its way into the number two seed is Give a Little Whistle from Pinocchio. Shell yeah, coming in at number three from Moana, it's shiny. Hitting those high notes at the four seed is with a smile and a song from Snow White. They see me trolling. Coming in at number five from Frozen, it's Fixer Upper, aka the troll song. She's back. Coming in at the number six seed performed by the immaculate Helen Reddy is Candle on the Water from Pete's Dragon. Raindrop, Mom Shot. Coming in at number seven from Bambi, it's Little April Showers. 
It's impossible to get your crush's attention without crashing a school assembly. Coming in at the eighth seed is Stand Out from a Goofy Movie. We are literally getting lit with the number nine seed from Princess and the Frog. It's Mabel Evangeline. It's an afternoon delight. Coming in at the 10 seed is In the Golden Afternoon from Alice in Wonderland. Shoes papes, not vapes. Coming in at number 11 from Newsies, it's King of New York. Being real emotional at the 12 seed is the next right thing from Frozen 2. Mice Mice Baby coming in at number 13 from Cinderella, it's the work song. Giving you nightmares at the 14 seed is Heffalumps and Woozles from the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Not up in here! Coming in at number 15 from Robin Hood, it's Not in Nottingham. And as the finale of the movie, the finale of this bracket at the number 16 seed is Proud Corazon from Coco. Joey, you have heard them, you have seen them, you've been studying them. Without lending your hand, which you kind of already have, being a Coco fanatic, do you see any any kind of upsets, any favorites? Do you agree with these rankings? Give us your thoughts. Yeah, I see. I see several actually. I see a childhood <laughs> movie um, that oh. is all about that is all about headlines and journalism, and you know that I really enjoy. Oh, um, oh, we got I, a newsy boy. We got yeah. a newsy boy here. Huh? <laughs> Uh, of course, I see Coco. That that is just that hurts. Like I said, I thought every song was just wild, wildly respected. You know, I just thought that it, a song from Coco couldn't appear on this list just because they're all perfect. It's visually and um, and musically, everything about the movie is perfect and appealing. So I'm kind of upset about that one. Uh, but so those are the two that I see immediately standing out. Um, and then I think when Frozen's in the mix, Frozen can always. Frozen can always twist the tables up a little bit. I'd agree with you. All right, Chris, let's hop into it. It is the first matchup. It is the number one, Strange Things from Toy Story versus the number 16, Proud Corazon. Chris, I already know where you're going, so let me start this one out. <laughs> Strange Things. This is the montage song in Toy Story in which Woody suddenly gets replaced by Buzz and Andy's room is changing from Western to space themed. And this is a sleeper song. Like I get why it's number one because Toy Story has You've Got a Friend in Me and then like you don't think about any other songs. But then Strange Things sneaks in there and you're like, oh, wait, oh, this is, this is a slap. Oh, oh, my. Oh, my gosh. Written and performed, of course, because why wouldn't it be by Randy Newman? And this is super Randy Newman. It's also very like 90s. It gives me big Huey Lewis in the news vibes, like where the verses don't quite align with the chorus, like the verse is so mellow and kind of like jumpy and and upbeat. And then the chorus soars. It just takes off. My favorite, my favorite part of the song is the chorus because you have Randy Newman's Muppet ass sounding voice singing strange things will happen to me and then in the background you have this choir of women that are just hitting it strange oh my gosh that is the best part of the song is listening to the backtrack choir are you joking like it's so so good they make the song because if you listen to the very end 
you have Randy Newman singing strange things and he can't hold the strange very well. <laughs> it's his voice is like wobbling through it, just holding on by a thread. It's a great song. It's a great song for like a montage moment. It really makes you understand what's happening. Strange things like it's told from Woody's perspective, like he's been the the toy of the house, the toy of the room this entire time. And suddenly he's being replaced. And that's strange. It's up against Proud Corazon, which is the finale song of Coco. And oh my goodness, this is a very, very good song. This song uh, is arguably, in my opinion, the best song in Coco. I think it's phenomenal. It's performed by Anthony Gonzalez, who does the voice for Miguel. And it's written by... Uh, I, uh, I'm going to butcher her. I think it's a her. And I don't know how to pronounce it, but Jermaine Franco is how I'm going to pronounce it. And Adrian Molina. Jermaine had worked on a handful of scores, including Life Size 2, that Tyra Banks model movie. Um, Yeah, super bizarre. And then Adrian Molina. I don't know if I brought this up during the best song or whatever we talked about um, music in Coco last, but he's a Pixar animator and he wrote Hmm. this song. He, he wrote the lyrics to the song, which is, it's awesome. What a great way to like involve the talent that you have at the studio. The best version of the song is the Spanish version, where it's just sung in Spanish throughout. It feels a lot more authentic. It feels like it, it actually flows a lot better than when Miguel switches to Spanish from English halfway through it. But the thing, it's so short. I, I need more of it. It's like a minute 20, maybe. Uh, and this song could easily be a three minutes and I'd be sitting there vibing the entire time. The song takes place literally at the very end. Miguel's back with his family. His family's with his dead family. Like every everything they're having, a, they're having like a, 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 a potluck. They're having a cookout. It's just such a great way to tie up the movie. And then, you know, what follows it, Chris, immediately after. Remember me by Miguel. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the other vibey song. The other vibey song been talking a lot about coco lately i don't know what's going on i hate it it. (laughs) so when i'm talking about like disney music there's a certain feeling you get from disney music uh a, a certain sound a certain aura that you get from disney music that's almost unexplainable it's hard to like pin down what makes Disney music Disney music because there's been so many eras of it. You have like the Mencken Ashman era of Disney music in the 90s. And that sounds very different from the Sherman Brothers music, but they all sound Disney music, in my opinion. You know when you hear it. And in this matchup, I have to like decide what is Disney because I think these are both very good songs. But I got to go with the one seed. I got to go with Randy Newman in this one. I love Proud Cortezon as like a a song, a song that exists. But I think that if I like played that, people wouldn't know where it came from because uh, it's not prominently featured within Coco. It's at the very end. Mm-hmm. It's very quick. It's short song. While Strange Things is like Randy Newman's voice is pretty iconic in the Disney sphere and it matches up to such a big moment in that movie. I'm going one seed. Yeah, that's a that's interesting analysis, especially that last part about kind of like the Disney sound and and not that Proud Corazon like doesn't have that Disney sound, but it definitely feels like the last song in a movie. 
and and strange things very much has legs to stand on its own sure which i think is like really interesting about strange things it is randy newman it is a very poppy song and it's structured like a pop song but sung from the perspective of Woody, not by Woody, which is what you would normally expect to happen in a Disney movie. Like Woody would start singing the song, right? Yeah. I never, I guess, really like looked at the lyrics of Strange Things. <laughs> and I, I like I always assumed it was very generic, a lot like You've Got a Friend in Me is generic. Um, but like in the lyrics of Strange Thing, it's like some little punk with a rocket came out of the sky. Uh, so it's like very, very much like this is about Buzz Lightyear, <laughs> you yes. know? Uh, so I find that interesting that like, uh, you, I really have to kind of dive into the lyrics to, to know that it is a movie reference and, and we hear strange things regularly in the parks, in the Tomorrowland loop. It is Mm -hmm. a very, very, uh, popular background music song, um, at all Disney parks, especially in Tomorrowland, uh, which I love. I love that kind of like spacey remix for this song. Yeah. And it's in Astro Blasters. I don't want to talk about this like too soon, but it's like okay. the idea of like what is most underrated versus what is best underrated song as defined by this bracket. I, I just think like Coco is a bit too fresh okay. and it, it is too universally loved and universally like accepted Praised. as good, like talk, talk, top to bottom. That like I can't I can't call any song from Coco underrated. Okay. Even though that like if I was gonna stack up all the songs from Coco, I would put Proud Corazon in like a, a underrated songs from Coco because it's the one that doesn't get the most loved because there are so many other really great songs from Coco. Yeah. And it's, so I think it goes back to what you said at the very beginning about like you got a friend in me is what anyone thinks about when they think of Toy Story and this strange thing song has really gotten lost in the shuffle, uh, so to speak, on people's Disney playlists. So uh, I, I love Proud Corazon. Um, I wrapped up our Disney Power Hour edit with that song because <laughs> it's got the nice little the end with the fireworks and the papel picado. Yep. Such a good song, uh, but I'm with you. I'm advancing to number one. Uh, and, and also, I just wanted Coco to go down so that there would not be yet another Coco finals matchup. Oh uh, Joey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I sent Coco <laughs> home. It's okay. Your, your reasoning was kind of what I was on to. I'm even surprised that it's on on the most underrated list. Yeah, just because sure. of uh, Just because of how universally loved. I accept it. I accept. Plus, I was, gonna, I was going to pass any Toy Story song along too, just because of the Oakland ties. I feel like I have to do my due diligence, mm. um, sure. you know, in that sense. So it hurts, but it's acceptable. Cool. So let's move on to the next matchup then. It is the number eight seed standout from a goofy movie versus number nine, Mabel Evangeline from Princess and the Frog. We dove in deep into Mabel Evangeline uh, when we did our best Disney love songs bracket. And that was a song that we had kind of overlooked in the past. Similar situation. Like there are so many good songs in Princess and the Frog that are very rollicking and very loud and very upbeat um and then there's this little ditty mabel evangeline that is very stripped down for the most part um at the beginning till it gets into that little waltz with the full jazz band 
and it is just so good. Uh, and, and we talked about the one thing that really kills this song being the forced frog romance. Yes. <laughs> uh, now, if you, if, you, like, if you listen to this song through headphones, you would never even know that there was this like Tiana and Naveen like frog, let's fall in love just because thing going on in the middle of this great song, uh, which should kind of just prove our point that Princess and the Frog is an overrated Disney movie based on the plot of the story. They, they mishandled a lot of the characters there. And we just didn't need that frog stuff, especially not during this really good song. Uh, stand out. I don't think we've really talked a whole lot about Goofy Movie. No, oh, yeah. Bracket. I'm waiting for the moment that we can. This is our moment, I think. This is it. So I don't know. I, I never saw any Goofy Movie in general as being underrated. I, I think like everyone I know has seen Goofy Movie and loves it. And Powerline is like a, an icon, so to speak, of 90s Disney. Totally. It's had a resurgence, I'll say that. Like with the invention of Disney licensing and you have places like Hot Topic and Box Lunch that are selling Disney yes. things and they take the obscure and make it hot again. Goofy Movie and Powerline have had that trajectory because ask about it in like 2006 and people would be like, oh yeah, I saw it as a kid. I loved it as a kid, but they weren't like revisiting and watching it. And now we're revisiting and watching it because it's part of that like 90s nostalgia kick that happened, right? So they put it into theaters, bombed. No one cared about it. We all get the VHSs. Plug it in because it's goofy and your kids are annoying and you just want them to be quiet for an hour and 45 minutes. And now we all love it. And like it was good and cheesy and stupid in the 90s. And it's the same thing. And it's that nostalgia of like Space Jam. It's the same thing. Space Jam, awful movie. Space Jam with <laughs> Michael Jordan is an awful movie. And if you disagree, you haven't seen it in your adult life. It is an awful movie. But the premise and the nostalgia is so strong that the brand of Space Jam is incredible. Same thing with the Goofy movie, except the Goofy movie is actually a good buddy road trip movie, in my opinion. So I, I have not had the opportunity to revisit it. Uh, it Recently we're going to have a movie Must night, Chris. Chris, when you get out here, the first thing we're going to do, when you get out to the Bay Area, we're going to have a movie night, and it's a Goofy movie. Joey, it, you're invited. It, it must be 12 years since I've seen a Goofy movie, so I need you to kind of like help me help me with this, this standout. So like I'll, I'll walk you through what I think I remember it is. I'll hop in is, after. Is standout is at the end of the movie, and it's not... That's no. not at the end of the movie. Okay, well, then I, I take, <laughs> I renege okay. everything I'm about let, to say. Let me set the floor here. Eye to Eye is the big power line song. That's the end right. of the movie song. Okay. Stand Out is what introduces the audience to power line because Max is a huge power line fan and he has a huge crush on Roxanne, who is mm -hmm. also a huge power line fan. So he decides in the very beginning of the movie that him and PJ are going to put on this show where he's lip syncing and dancing to this Powerline song called Stand Out. And he's going to hijack what I believe was a, um, an assembly to elect the, the like school president. And they shut it down. They turn off the lights and it opens up. And so right, he's doing right. this to impress 
Roxanne. Pretty like it's pretty forgettable because you have um after today is also in the goofy movie. That's mm-hmm. when school gets out for the summer and he's he's falling in love with Roxanne. And they're gonna go to the Powerline concert together. That's right after this song. And then you have Eye to Eye, which is the anthem of the movie. So at the beginning. But you've got it. You're you're here. Okay. You're, you're back. No, I got the I, I I got the kind of like the theme down, you know, that like it looks like he's trying to overcompensate or like be a fraud, you know, so to speak. And we don't like frauds on this podcast. The song itself, uh, also very 90s in style. The It's got like the 90s equivalent of the whisper verse in like the, <laughs> the beat slows down a little bit and a lot of the like extra instruments leave and you get like a little like walking by. That is my favorite part of the song. Um, and that is that is the whisper verse of this song. It's got the just a just a very slight hip hop, mm-hmm. uh, slight '90s hip hop that's very poppy, very upbeat. And um, yeah, I mean it's a good song, super fun. Yeah. Uh, thank you for educating me on like where where it where it falls in the movie. Um, yeah, Mabel Evangeline, I I have a lot of appreciation for. I love when you get a little waltz action on a song. Uh, definitely overlooked among the Princess and the Frog songs. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Stand Out, though. I think, uh, I, I even though I know people universally love Goofy Movie when asked, I think it still fought, fades into the background of other 90s Disney classics like Lion King, Tarzan, Hercules, Beauty and the Beast, etc. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. Um, Mabel Evangeline is a great song. Um, you have Terrence Blanchard, who's on the trumpet. I talked about him uh, during the love song bracket. So if you want to hear me talk more about it, go listen there. But Jim Cummings, man, he it's an inch. He's an interesting dude. He's done a lot. He gets done, a lot of work. Yeah, he's done Tigger, Pooh, Darkwing Duck, Pete, Baby Herman, and Roger Rabbit's cartoon Spin, The Ride, Bagheera, and anything that's post Jungle Book, Cheshire Cat, and anything that's post Alice in Wonderland. Uh, so many roles that if you go onto the Disney Wiki fandom, his appearances are split up into five parts alphabetically because he just does everything. Dang. He's a he's a yeah. he's a you know an amazing voice artist. But uh, "Stand Out" is definitely an underrated Disney song. This is like the hero anthem song. This is the the hero want song of a Goofy movie, and that's that's a key song for any Disney movie, I think. Uh, Mabel Evangeline is a love song for a side character that in the movie makes sense because it's a hidden romance between the frogs uh, when you have to watch it. But if you listen alone, it's it doesn't make sense to the plot other than the side character has a loving a love interest. So I'm agreeing with you. Stand out. Goofy movie is going to move on past Mabel Evangeline. Joey. Do you have any issues with that? Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, candidly, listening to the explanations, yeah. I get it. And I agree. Vibe check. On listen. Yeah, vibe check. Yep. Hit me on with vibe, vibe check. check. Uh, Mabel Evangeline, going to your first point, fits the Disney profile to me a lot more. I'm imagine- okay. When I listen to these songs and I'm walking down the park and I'm hearing music and I hear that trumpet and like, I'm at Disneyland. If I'm walking down the street at night and like the bubbles are flying and I hear mm. the speakers and I hear that trumpet, I'm like, I'm at Disneyland. The other one, I'm like, 
it's it's poppy it's a it's a lot and if so something like a casual fan i've never seen the goopy movie which i haven't so i will take you up on the invite to watch it with chris come over then then i'm like i don't i don't even i don't know if this fits i don't know if it's disney i don't know what it is but mabel evangeline i'm like yeah that that that's a disney song so yeah. if there was okay. a tiebreaker i would have gone with that okay okay that's fair i see your explanation and i respect it Let's move on to the next matchup. It is the number four with a smile and a song from Snow White versus the number 13 work song from Cinderella. This is a this is a nice little princess matchup here. I like this a lot with a smile and a song from Snow White, I believe is the moment at the beginning of the movie when Snow White is on the steps cleaning them and the birds show up and she's singing with the The birds birds do the birds do show up. I think she's running away from something. Yes. You're right. This is immediately after she's running from the huntsman who's trying to kill her and take her heart and she runs through the scary forest and she trips over a log and falls down and the forest animals Mm. come up and are trying to console her and then she sings this song. It's sung in a it's it's sung like it was made in the 30s and 40s (laughs) because it is. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's very high pitched, a lot of vibrato. It definitely sounds like a Disney song. It sounds like a princess. Like this movie essentially said, this is what a princess movie will be and sound like. And this is definitely the song that is that. Because from here on out, she continues to sing with animals. Like you have the the cooking song or whatever it is, the cleaning song. And so it just sounds like it. Uh, It's not necessarily an enjoyable listen by itself. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it makes sense in the movie. It's very magical in the movie, but by itself, it's kind of shrill. Uh, it's not nec- it's not enjoyable. Uh, it's you're like, yep, that's a Disney song, but I'm probably going to skip it because it's a little shrill and sounds like it's being recorded through a old phonograph that I am holding like a phone up to, which is like fine. It's n- that nice nostalgia, but boy, it's hard to listen to. It's up against work song from uh <laughs> it's up against work song from Cinderella. Dude, this is a slap. Cinderella, are you joking? <laughs> well, it gets shrill as well. It does get shrill, but that's the point. It's a bunch of mice singing. Of course they're gonna be shrill. Um, this is the first time that I'm gonna introduce this. So I didn't talk about Snow White's uh writers, but it's the same people that wrote the work song from Cinderella. So this is when okay. The um the mice have to make a gown for Cinderella because uh she's going to the ball now and she doesn't have any clothes. So the mice are and the, all the animals are like gonna start making her an outfit to wear to the ball to go meet Prince Charming. Both of these songs were written by Larry Morey, um, and he's the one that that composed it. And then the work song, the lyrics were written by a Tin Pan Alley trio: Mac David, Jerry Livingston, and Al Hoffman. All of them went on to continue to work for Disney uh, as like these pre-Sherman Brothers lyricists. Um, but some fun facts is that Mac David actually wrote Rain, Rain, Go Away, the song that we all know and sing as like wow. kids in preschool. Yeah. And Al Hoffman wrote for Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, Louis Armstrong, and even Queen Latifah in his later days, like in hmm. the 90s. And all three of them collabed on the Unbirthday song and the Trick or Treat for Halloween song uh, that is the Huey, Dewey, and Louie short. thought that was super interesting. Um, gentlemen, the song is so much of a slap <laughs> that the entire time I was listening to it, I was thinking, 
man, this could be like a sampled beat. Just the way that they're saying Cinderella, Cinderella, like there's there's a hip hop beat in there. There's some hip hop, uh, uh, not influences because this is way before it, but there's some some notes, some some rhythm to it. And boy, is there boy is there gentlemen may i introduce you to the work song trap remix that i have found on youtube by milker lundquist Bro, are you joking? What a slap. <laughs> that was pretty good. That <laughs> what was pretty a slap. Um, the rhythm of the song is just so great. The version, because of that, like it's just so rhythmic and catchy. Cinderella, Cinderella is great. This version of the song takes place over a very long period of time with dialogue. And if you listen to the playlist that we'll be providing with this episode, the song is super, it's like five minutes long because they have a lot of the score where there's dialogue happening and all that stuff. And that's fine. But the work song is the Cinderella portion. That's what really I'm talking about here. And I think that this is the better song. This sounds very much like a Disney, you know, magical song. It has rhythm. It's catchy. It's nice to listen to. It's not as shrill as the snow white one even though the mice are singing somehow i i just think it's way more enjoyable i'm going with the work song so here's here's my theory uh is that pop music has been the same forever oh yeah has been. and like a trend happens and then everyone does it for example mumblecore rap sure. <laughs> alt and emo uh, sounding like you're like a mumbling british person yeah in like the mid 2010s uh like female vocalists in edm uh-huh people one person does something and then it goes crazy halsey does closer and it just becomes a huge hit and then makes bb rexa do meant to be and Marin morris do whatever the one she did was and so on and so on so like listening to snow white do her super high-pitched thing listening to the mice do their super high pitch thing. And then I started thinking of the munchkins from the Wizard of Oz <laughs> doing their high pitch thing, the lullaby league. There was something going on with like the tastes of that time that like extremely high pitched singing as well as like extremely low pitched, like throw Ravenscroft man singing yeah. was like a thing. And just like hearing, hearing like extreme voices, natural voices. Totally. Um, so kind of like in addition to just like the graininess of, of the recording, uh, yeah, that voice type is very like of its time. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you that, that the With a Smile in a Song is not a super enjoyable listen if you were just going to pick it out on a playlist. I would prefer to listen to it as like a piano cover. Mm. I find the actual composition of the music itself to be quite elite. Yeah, I agree. And but and here's kind of like I guess from like a content perspective, I like that we so often think of Snow White as like the stereotypical classic Disney princess, one day my prince will come, and this is a song that doesn't necessarily feel dated. Kind of yeah. does. 
um, because it is about just like, oh, you just put on a smile and, <laughs> and they, sing a song everything's and great. I you was know, just like chased down aspect. by a huntsman who almost tried to kill me. But hey, if I smile and I sing, everything's okay. So that aspect does feel rather dated, but at least it's better than someday my prince will come. Maybe we can agree on that. Yeah. Whenever there's any type of like parade or like musical spectacular nighttime fireworks, whatever, uh, there's like a princess suite that happens. And this song is, is never in there. It's like, no. like what's in the princess suite? Uh, Beauty and the Beast, Part of yes. Your World. Yes. Bippity boppity boo. Once upon a dream. Once upon a dream. Maybe a whole new world. Like probably. And then and then one day my prince will come, right? So like Yeah. So I do think that with a smile and a song is very underrated for being <laughs> like one of the original Disney songs. Cinderella, 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 the work song. Dude, let's be real. This movie is not about Cinderella. It is about these mice. Okay. <laughs> yes. Like these so mice, mice get. This is a Gus Gus's coming of age story. That is that is what <laughs> Cinderella is at the end of the day. And, and like that's okay. It. I yeah, it's fine. Like we love Gus Gus. Gus oh, Gus is do. a great character. Um, and the song is fun, especially like instrumentally. The song is fun. Um, if this was gonna be like part of like a fireworks, this would be a great like. So like I think the instrumentation on both these songs is great. Just rename the movie. <laughs> Gus Gus. Jacques and Gus Gus. Jacques and Gus Gus, the movie. Um, I'm going with Smile and a Song because oh I think I would rather listen to it at the end of the day. So this is Joey's going for his first tie break here. Vibe, vibe Jack, here we go. The first uh, tie break, I'm going to go with the Smile and a Song. I think that oh. at the end of the day, I'd rather listen to Snow White. I'd rather listen to that than Mice. And I feel like that song, although from... Like the the poor music quality. I feel like if I threw that on a vinyl and put that in my room with some crackling, oh, I feel like oh, that would oh, be yeah. some vibes. I feel That's like beautiful. that'd be great. So That's... I do think the beat in the work song is probably better. But from a um, a Disney perspective, if I wanted to get into a Disney vibe and I had a vinyl and that song was on the vinyl, I wouldn't skip over it. I would let it play through. I think it'd be great. I like that. I like that. Let's go. Like All right. That. So let's move on to the next matchup. It's number five, Fixer Upper from Frozen. Versus number 12, the next right thing from Frozen 2. We got a Frozen on Frozen matchup, and I'm the one who has to start things off here. No, so, isn't it nice? I mean, much like Coco, it's very hard to call anything Frozen as underrated just because of how popular all of it is. Exactly. Um, Fixer Upper, a.k.a. the Troll song, definitely is like the ugly stepchild of the Frozen 1 songs. Like, that's one that people just kind of forget about because it seems like all of the songs, and we said this in our frozen two review, all of the songs in frozen one come very fast and furious at the beginning of the movie. And there's a lot of plot. And then the fixer upper song happens like three quarters <laughs> yeah. of the way through. So it's very easy to like listen through to like the reprise of first time in forever. And then like, that's it. Like yep. I'm done listening. I don't need to listen to Fixer Upper as like the last song that I hear on my Frozen One soundtrack, right? Yeah. So it makes sense, and and I do think it is underrated within that context. Fixer Upper has it's very interesting. I appreciate it because it very much has the structure of a country song, and that it it 
kind of like has a slight twist at the end. That's kind of like a hallmark of authentic country music songwriting. I will point to two examples. One of them, of course, I got to point to Carrie Underwood, uh, her song Temporary <laughs> Home. Like verse one is like, this is my temporary home sung from the perspective of a child who is an orphan. And then the next verse, temporary home from the perspective of a woman in a halfway house. And then the third verse, when it kind of like twists, this is my temporary home sung from the perspective of a man in a hospital bed on, on the brink of death. Like the earth is my temporary home. The song is not about house necessarily. It's about anything that you would call home. Same thing in three wooden crosses by Randy Travis. Um, Look that one up. I won't spoil the twist in that one, but it is art. And so Fixer Upper kind of does that. It's like uh, singing about how here are all the things that are wrong with Kristoff. He really is a Fixer Upper. And then here uh, is this one thing. I guess they only call out the one thing with Anna and that she's engaged. She's engaged. And I, <laughs> eh, like, I feel like that's a pretty big thing. Like I'm never, I'm never a fan of like movies where like one person's in a relationship. Um, I'm talking about you wedding singer starring Adam Sandler. Like it's, it's just, I don't know. It just always kind of makes me sort of icky, feel sure. sort of icky. So I um, don't like that. That's like her thing that they call out. But then in the end, the kind of like final thing, when all of the uh, vocal parts come together, they sing, everybody's a bitter fixer upper, but like we all just accept each other through love in the end, any type of love, mother, father, sister, brother. That's what they say explicitly in the song. So I think there's some good content there. Uh, there is a, uh, forced Olaf moment. Unfortunately, uh, he is the one that says the only fixer upper fixer, like fixer upper is, and it's like, the song would have been good if Olaf wasn't in it. <laughs> Going up against the next right thing, man. Like, and, and again, like in our frozen two review, I called this out as my favorite song from frozen two. Uh, this song was my number 25 on 25 most top played songs in 2019. <laughs> the thing is like, I don't know if I would call it a super good song. It is just one that like when I heard it in that theater, it was a song I really needed to hear in that moment. Sure. I appreciate it from like a filmmaking perspective, especially Disney filmmaking. You don't often get to see the hero, especially a hero as like bubbly and upbeat as Anna in this like very, very dark place. Um, so I, I love that, that, that they went there. It is sort of heavy at the beginning. <laughs> Hello, darkness. Zorda. I'm ready to succumb. Like, yeah. Oh my whoa. goodness. Okay. But uh, yeah, just like so many movies, just especially Disney movies, they just they don't want to show their hero in tears like that, um, in a very like real, very real, real, real way. Kind of like what the song is trying to say is like number one, don't build your foundation on someone else's property she says how do i rise from the floor when it's not you i'm rising for also the only star that guided me was you like this is her moment of realization that like she needs to like kind of like i don't know look inward for direction as opposed Mm -hmm. to like look externally and then to like just in life in general like just do the next right thing i love that advice like that's advice that i subscribe to personally Uh, my favorite lyric in the song is when she says stumbling blindly towards the light. Like let's all just stop pretending like any of us know what's going to happen. <sighs> Love it. When people ask me what I'm going to do in five years or 10 years, like I do not know. Uh-huh. Like I truly do not know. I, I know what I'm going to do in the next one year, maybe two years, yeah. but like 
just, I'm just going to do the next right thing and then I'll go from there. So it's a meaningful song to me, to me. Both of these songs are meaningful to me. I would say the more underrated song is the next right thing. Uh, I think Frozen 2 in general uh, came and went due to the pandemic. So uh, I'm going with Next Right Thing from Frozen 2 as the most underrated Disney song in this matchup. I don't like either of these songs, like really at all. I think you're correct in that it's interesting that Frozen songs made it on here. It's the same thing why like Mary Poppins isn't on here, if anybody was wondering, because we basically said, no, Mary Poppins isn't going to be included in this because it's pretty critically known that the soundtracks are fantastic. So it's hard to choose an underrated song from that. So we're not going to allow an un- a Mary Poppins song to be on an underrated bracket. I feel like almost that rule should have applied to Frozen 1 at the very least, because I think that that soundtrack comes with such fanfare and such critic acclaim in general that it's hard to say that a song on the most earning, highest earning animated movie of all time until like whatever the next Pixar thing was can be considered underrated. That being said, I mean, it felt like the Lopez's and the animation studio said there's a lull right before our big twist and we need to fill it with something. And the Lopez's are like, well, when that happens in Broadway, we do an ensemble number and they're like, great, do it. And that's what we get out of Fixer Upper. It's just like the background cast. They're bringing in these trolls that like in Frozen 2, you're like, oh, dope. Maybe we'll learn more about the trolls. Nope. Mm-mm. they're introducing this family that of Kristoff's that like we don't really ever see again it just the song feels unnecessary and meant for stage as opposed for that movie itself like almost they could have swapped this out of whatever was on broadway at this moment and and could have made it a thing the next right thing uh that was a depressing part of the movie really sad it really really captivating you know it's just Anna's suffering <laughs> and you have to sit there in a dark theater with her. But it's literally not a song that I thought about afterwards as far as like want to listen to. It was a really impactful moment of the movie. But what makes it impactful is the context that comes along with it. Um, I think in this matchup, I'm going to go with Fixer Upper only because I enjoy it slightly more. And I think that it feels a little bit more of like the the Disney tone. Um, and of the powerhouse that is the Frozen soundtrack, besides your Miss the Dance, this is probably considered an underrated song for fans of that movie and of that soundtrack, which means that, Joey, you're breaking another tie. Well, this perspective, I'm taking it purely off the perspective that I have two nieces and one is a huge Frozen fan. And so I'm taking from the perspective of what would impact her the most and be most beneficial for her to listen to as she grows up and, and idolizes Frozen, which has to be the next right thing. God, I knew you were going to say that. I, I just <laughs> think that for her emotionally, uh, it's that song is much more impactful and meaningful for her growing up, especially as she endures whatever emotions she feels growing up. I feel like that song will be most beneficial to her livelihood and most impactful. Uh, also, I just really don't like listening to Olaf sing in songs. It just, like, adds, <laughs> okay. it just adds it adds no benefit to my life at all. Um, and so I, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of that. Um, and I just think that Kristen Bell has an awesome voice, and I think vocally, vocally, it's it's a really um, enthusing song. And I just think it's most impactful when I think of my niece um, and and her like development as a human and a development as a Frozen fan. Cool. Yeah. All right. 
The next right thing, number 12 seed is going to move on. Let's hop across the bracket. It is the number two, Give a Little Whistle from Pinocchio versus the number 15, Not in Nottingham from Robin Hood. Not in Nottingham is a song that our boy Rooster, what's his name? Alan and Dale. Alan and Dale sings while the entire town is locked up and in jail. Uh, and he was lucky enough to keep his mandolin as he was in jail and he gets to sit in the cell and sing this like folk sounding song about all of his friends trapped in jail and locked up. It's accompanied by scenes of people, <laughs> the animals of Nottingham att- attempting to just survive this, these jail cells. And it, it's a folk song. This sounds very mid seventies, like mid seventies folk. This is like, Times are hard and trying. Let's get back to our roots and sing about these times in this very emotional, country-esque way. This is not a memorable song to me. In fact, that the fact that it was on this bracket made me have to re-listen to it. And it's a good song. Uh, Robin Hood doesn't have a ton of them. Uh, you got Udalali. You have whatever the love song is in robin hood which i remember it being pretty good um and then you have like this one and then of course you've got uh the whistle stop yes you're right you're right you're right you're right it's up against give a little whistle which is uh jiminy and pinocchio figuring out their kind of safe word uh situation when pinocchio (laughs) goes off into the world by himself if you need me just whistle i'll be there it's Jiminy faking his way through this conscious thing. If you remember in the movie, he's just a hobo cricket. <laughs> and like the 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 fairy comes down and is like, yo, you want to like tell him right from wrong? And he's like, if I get gold. And she's like, yeah, I'll give you gold if he survives. And he's like, all right, let's do it. And then this is literally when he gives up Pinocchio to Honest John and Gideon. So it's an interesting song. What I like about it a lot and what I think makes it really Disney is that there's this is the plot movement, right? You're establishing that Jiminy is trying to instill this confidence in in Pinocchio in him saying like, don't worry, I got you. I'm your conscious. I have this job. All you have to do is this and we're going to be fine. It moves that plot along, which I like about Disney songs in general. And then I also like the how the music really matches up well with the lyrics you have when he says the word slide you have like a a elongated note to go with the slide which is very Mm -hmm. play on woods words very punny of them to to include you have the in the movie he's pretending to play a like trumpet but he's using his umbrella and as he does it the trombone is mimicking that kind of sound and he even falls mm-hmm. off and you can hear the kind of floating down uh, the the bubble effects when he's in the water. It's just a very like attention to detail song that I really like because I think that movie itself had a ton of detail in it. Like they were really flexing their animation skills when it came to the background sets done by Claude Coates, I believe. And it just feels, I mean, let, let's be honest. I know that, Chris, I'm pretty sure you've said that you're not a huge Jiminy Cricket fan. And I think mm, you no. might have said it during the sing-along. But, like, he's the unofficial mascot behind Mickey of this company. Like, it doesn't get a 
ton more Disney outside of Mickey and the Fab Five than Jiminy Cricket. Jiminy was a sing-along host. We talked about it in our Disney sing-along bracket. Fun and fancy free host. We talked about it in the hybrid movie bracket. He's in Mickey's Christmas Carol. We talked about it in the Christmas bracket. He was also a host or played a part in Walt Disney's anthology series. So Walt Disney's Disneyland, Walt Disney Presents, Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color, Mickey Mouse Club he was in, and he was in the House of Mouse. Like this, this character is Disney for sure. Fab Five, Tinkerbell, Jiminy Cricket. You see those, you think Disney. Same with this song. I think it's more Disney. I think it's an underrated song, not only within Pinocchio, because there's so many songs like When You Wish Upon a Star, which won the best song uh, Oscar that year. I Got No Strings. There's so much happening in that movie that Give a Little Whistle is just a... It's a it, I can consider it an underrated song. I'm moving number two on past Not, of Nottingham, not in Nottingham. I mean, I really don't have anything to add for Give a Little Whistle, but I will... Absolutely go to bat for Not in Nottingham. Sure. Uh, the, it's funny that Joey mentioned vinyl. Uh, I own Robin Hood on vinyl. And it is just so good. Like <laughs> that, that gravelly voice of Roger Miller, yes. who sounds like he just smoked four packs of cigarettes and is currently <laughs> smoking a cigar while he's recording. Yes, uh, It's just on vinyl. It's just un- unmatched. Uh, I'll lay down on my rug, stone cold sober, and just get absorbed into the ground uh, yeah. listening to this. Um, I, like I said on the last few episodes, like I'm, I'm a big country music person, and like I, I appreciate that old school kind of like blue collar storytelling that is present uh, throughout Robin Hood. Um, the kind of, and that's kind of like what I think of when I think of country music. It's not beer can in a truck bed and country girl shake it for me you know like that's just not sure this is that's just not what it is at all so this soundtrack has a special place in my heart this song uh, i think is the best song on the soundtrack kind of like independent of the movie Okay. Um, and, and I think extremely underrated. The fact that it's like not on streaming either adds right. to to the fact that like it's underrated, so it doesn't get talked about a whole lot. Uh, fun fact: Mumford and Sons did a cover of "Not in Nottingham," and it's not very good. You just can't <laughs> you can't expect to like cover Roger Miller and have it be better in any way, especially not Mumford and Sons because they just they sound too clean. And yeah. like I said, like this that that gravel in Roger Miller's voice adds to what the song is trying to say and like the picture that it's trying to paint about tough life, Nottingham. So yeah. I'm going with that one, going with the upset. So Joey, breaking another tie. Kyle, I'm sorry, but you know, yeah, me. you're just really, I know I, the minute I yeah, heard you, that this knew, song was on the bracket, this folk song, I was like, Oh, yeah. Joey's going to go yeah. for it. I mean, you knew it. I mean, I'm a huge folk fan. I'm going to a folk concert next Saturday from when we're yeah. recording this right now in Columbus, of all places. So <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, the Mumford & Sons cover, not great, but Mumford & Sons still did it, which is great. So yeah, it's got to be not in Nottingham. Like oh that, it, That's just what has to move on. Um, it's a great song, and it's folk. It's folk country, and that's all I can ever ask for. Let's go. So I'm sorry. Down goes Jimmy <laughs> Brutal. Cricket. Many L's in this bracket. 
All right, so let's move on to the next matchup. It's Little April Showers versus In the Golden Afternoon. I mean, this one is very easy for me. In the Golden Afternoon is not an underrated song at all. In, in the Golden Afternoon gets so much play, especially in Disney parks. Like, it is a, it's in the attraction. It yeah. is one of the most memorable sequences in the Alice in Wonderland movie. Um, gets played in music loops all the time. Like it is, it is not underrated in any way, in my opinion. Alice in Wonderland's movie, I don't really like very much. I think I've said that on this podcast before. Uh, Little April Shower, uh, like this, this is this is my jam right here. I mean, it's Bambi, which is like we stand a prince in Bambi. Also, it's in Light Magic, and it absolutely slaps in Light Magic. The way that the music is written, like the composition ties into the idea of the little April shower and that it very is very much like a slow build. It's just kind of like dun, 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 dun. it's very like slow into it. And then on it goes slow out as well, which uh is what April showers are like. The springtime rain is gradual, not like a fierce summer thunderstorm. So I like that aspect. I mean, like this this piece could be like orchestra music very high quality very very top shelf in my opinion and like this sequence in the movie visually like this is when this is when you realize what you're watching exactly you're watching uh these very small moments in these forest creatures lives being very big moments for them like from their point of view their their frames of reference um, love the world that's created in the world of Bambi. Love little April shower. It's a good song. It's in light magic. Easy, easy for me. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. And I have something to share, but I'm going to share it next time. So tune in for that because it is fantastic. Joey, little April shower is going to move on past in the golden afternoon from Alice in Wonderland. How do you feel about that? I like it. I like uh yeah. Chris's uh, explanation. I like it. Let's move on to this next matchup. It is the number three shiny from Moana versus the number 14 heffalumps and woozles. Daddy Lynn rears his head yet again <laughs> in a bracket. It is shiny written by Lynn Manuel Miranda and performed by Jermaine Clement. Uh, Jermaine is from Fly of the Concords. He has a musical background as sketch comedy, New Zealand, Kiwi, Uh, He's very well known in the satire and mockumentary space, uh, along with uh, uh, Brett McKenzie, who is his partner in Fly of the Concords and did the music and score for Muppet movie when they rebooted it. So they've made their way into the Disney sphere before. Lin-Manuel, we know him. We've talked about him. We're done with him. Um, It's interesting because this song is a villain song and it's sung in the style of a David Bowie song which Flight of the Concords has done before they have a David Bowie song Bowie's in space <laughs> yes and uh and the fact that it's written by Lynn makes me think that it was written by Lynn with the help of Jermaine because there's no way that Lynn wrote it in the same style with the same wording and mannerisms that someone like Jermaine would do. Uh, So I don't believe that Lynn wrote it by himself. Maybe the music, but not the lyrics for sure. I I definitely felt like a little, there was like some Jermaine flourishes in there. Oh yes. I'm sure. I'm sure the Maui man. That's so 
right. so germane. Yeah. But, but like all in all, I think that surprisingly they kind of fit each other. Okay. In yeah, that, I can see that. In that like Jermaine and the Concords are like diverse musically and they yep. dabble in that like hip hop eponymous versus rhinoceros. Like yes. they're not Word afraid play. to kind of like genre bend yeah, and do like very wordy music and stuff. Yeah. And so I think I think it was a really great fit. Yeah. I I I agree. I think it goes hand in hand. I just wish that Jermaine got a little bit more credit because I think there's a little bit more credit due other than the him just performing the song. But yeah, I'm sure he added a ton of flourishes. There's a lot in the song that he, you know, if it wasn't him, it wouldn't have been done well, I don't think. It's funny because this part of Moana is fairly like forgettable. There's just Extremely. so much that happens. I have no idea what's going on. I don't know what the name of the character is. Yeah, I mean... Maui loses his hook right after, like, his hook is gone. He doesn't have it. That's why they're on this journey. This is pit stop number one on the journey to return the heart of Tafiti. After Moana gets stranded on the island, they go and they beat the, the coconut boys and they go to this place where he lost his hook and they have to go down to the depths of the sea. It's a very unnecessary step in this journey in my opinion but i think that where it does make sense is that it gives us the background to maui to why he is the way he is in this song this is like moana's realization that he's not just a jerk for jerk's sake like he's carrying some baggage with him and it's because jermaine's character says um far from the ones who abandoned you Chasing the love of these humans who made you feel wanted. You tried to be tough, but your armor's just not hard enough. Like, he was abandoned as a kid. That's the whole story. It's tattooed on his back. And in this song, that comes to realization for not only Moana, but the audience. Is that he is... he He's this demigod that was, like, abandoned by his parents. And now he's trying to reclaim his name to fame essentially or live up to his expectations or the expectations of that others have on him and that's the character arc that we see throughout this movie like he's very selfish and then he sacrifices himself at the end basically so for it being kind of just a forgettable moment in the movie it plays a huge part they didn't necessarily have to do it this way but i think the it was the most entertaining way they could have passed along some very heavy material yeah. and messaging right Yep. Songs very fun. He also he also drags grandma, like ghost grandma, at the yes. very beginning. He's like, <laughs> Your grandma lied. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, ooh, ooh. Oh, bringing grandma into this, huh? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh it's up against Heffalumps and Woozles. This is from The Many Adventures of Winnie Pooh Winnie the Pooh, written by the Sherman Brothers, performed by the Mellow Men. Chris. This we is a group them. founded by our boy. Thorough Ravenscroft. They've sung back up for Bing Crosby, Elvis, Peggy Lee. They've done movies like Lady and the Tramp, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, Jungle Book. And they are the singers and performers on Yo-Ho from the Pirates Attraction. This is a star-studded Disney through-and-through group that has been with that company through that kind of heyday of Disney animation. So instantly... Sounds very Disney chorus-esque, right? Uh, Heffalumps and Woozles, this is uh, the warning song that the Heffalumps are not to be trusted by 
Winnie the Pooh and his friends. My favorite line is that they're extraordinary, so better be wary. Like these things look like us and look like you and look harmless, but they're actually the worst. They they will steal your honey because they want it because they know you want it. Like this is the ultimate villain song. If the Heffalumps and Woozles woke up and chose violence by becoming ordinary and not extraordinary because they're going to blend in and be able to cause some problems. And boys, this is a slap. If you've ever been on the Winnie the Pooh traction at Disneyland, probably at Disney World, the Heffalump and Woozles part of this attraction base boosted. They base boost it in this ride. Like it is an oh, actual, yeah. Yeah, yeah, actual yeah. slap. And, you know, if I think a song's a slap, you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to look up some remix. Oh, boy. Okay, here we go. joking dude are you joking oh my gosh that's my new like we we throw nina's a big halloween person this is now this is a halloween party song right here i'm gonna throw on a little heffalumps and woozles gives a little villain song it gives a little house music it's just it it just makes sense sherman brothers can't go wrong with their words with their with their making up of words very mary poppins of them it's just it just feels so so Disney, I'm going to go with Heffalumps and Woozles over Shiny, even though I would listen to Shiny as like a pop song, as a throw it on in the car. But I think that like in the Disney sphere of songs, Heffalumps and Woozles, we don't put enough respect. It's underrated, in my opinion. Shiny is very underrated. Very. Yeah, you know, it's like the Frozen thing and the Coco thing, you know, like there are so many other memorable songs from these movies that. You forget uh, that there's this one towards the end of the soundtrack that is that is pretty decent. A couple of things I want to point out that I really like. I like that kind of like the way the song is written kind of like complements the character. And he's this crab that has shiny stuff that makes you attracted to him. And then he'll like snatch you. Yeah. And so he's singing. It's very like uh, it's a what's the word? Uh, minor key. Uh, and it kind yeah, of like pulls yeah, yeah. you in and then it's like whoa like oh okay this is kind of fun this is kind of fun just kidding it's really scary yeah yeah uh i like that i don't know if any of that's correct uh music theory people please add us but <laughs> um i like that it kind of is dynamic and, and switches around oh the neon stuff is dope as well mm-hmm. they do a little like black light towards the end um the sequence visually it's very fun I was a huge Fly of the Concords fan. Like, yeah, same. I don't know. I don't know what my teenage years would have been like without them. Like they, yeah. they brought me lots of comfort and purpose during like some very like tumultuous emotional times in my life. Sure. It's like, the, like their three albums. Uh, there was a time I could do every single word, every album flawless yep. every time. Yep. I saw Jermaine in East Village a couple of years ago. Oh, wow. And I walked right past him. He was picking his kid up from school, though. 
And I was like, ah, I, I have too it. much respect for Jermaine <laughs> to like holler at him. Like when he's literally like walking his kid. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah, I got shiny here. I uh, have a lot of some woozles. It's great. It's very uh, Sherman Brothers. You one time talked about how like they're very marchy in the way yep. that they like write their music. And the wordplay is great. And just like the it, it's poetry. Yeah. Uh, but it is a little bit marchy. A little feels a little stereotypical Sherman. Uh, so I'm going with the fun piece. Going with shiny. So Joey tiebreak again. Moana's. I love Moana. Yeah, it's so a, do I. It's yeah, you. it's such a good movie, and I love that scene in particular. Um, but I have to be consistent with some of my choices and and why I've chosen them about the Disney theme and putting myself in the Disneyland park and hearing songs. So I'm gonna go half a lumps and woozles. I think oh. it's. I think it's a more traditional song. I actually like the marchy feel of it. Um, it just takes me back to traditional Disney. Um, and I think that Moana, specifically Shiny, is a very like modern Disney song. Although like I love Moana so much. Um, I just think that Heffalumps and Woozles, from an underrated standpoint, it goes back to the Coco and the, the other arguments that we talked about before. Um, it's still fresh, and it's an easy choice. Um, and I probably like Shiny more than I like Heffalumps and Woozles, but... I think that's still my choice. All right. So we'll go on to the final matchup in around the 16 final matchup of the episode. It's number 16 candle on the water sung by Helen Reddy from Pete's dragon versus number 11 King of New York Chris, from newsies. Chris, I think I already know what might happen here. Given Joey's sentiment at the beginning of this. So, so here's the thing about candle on the water. Yeah. <laughs> I've okay. First of all, Pete's dragon the movie itself, like whatever, the soundtrack is really good and it has always been really good. And I don't think Pete's Dragon soundtrack has ever been slept on like ever. Uh, so like maybe if you survey a bunch of Gen Z millennials, uh, is Pete's Dragon underrated? They might say yes, but it was like, when the movie came out, like people knew it. You know, is Helen Reddy. She was the biggest pop star of the time. Candle. I never understood the metaphor. Like what is candle? Like what? It, I don't get it. I think it's like representing that she's the lighthouse, like the dude's out at sea, the shining mm. of the light of the lighthouse on the water is a literal mm. candle on the water. I'll be that for you. I'm here waiting for you to come home sort of thing. I don't, we don't know the guy. He could be a huge jerk. We don't know. <laughs> so I don't know. It's a good song. It's a great song, but like context of the movie, meh. King of New York. Love Newsies. Newsies is a very forgotten Disney property. The Christian Bale movie was not very well received and won Alan Menken a Razzie Award, as a matter yep. of fact. Christian Bale was not a great singer. Uh, and like Jack, you, Jack Kelly, you can't just like throw some not good singer in the Jack Kelly role. Like, mm -hmm. come on. Um, but uh, it came back on Broadway and won Tony's and was really good. I'm glad that this Newsies thing kind of like had a had an arc, you know. Yeah. A lot of memorable songs from Newsies. Obviously, you've got "Seize the Day," you've got "Santa Fe." We've talked about that one a lot on this podcast. Uh, mm -hmm. King of New York. I don't think we ever really got to talk about. Um, but it is a super fun number. I guess we'll go ahead and like take into account both the like movie version and the stage version when we're talking about King of New York. Um, basically like it's about 
the newsies getting on the cover of the newspaper and they're just super juiced about it. Right. And uh, I, I just like, I really appreciate that kind of like them getting excited about such a simple pleasure because that is, <laughs> that is very, that is a very New York thing to do. You know, like uh, the city has the ability to suck the joy out of just about everything that has brought you happiness in your life. So the joy is very fleeting and you really need to like enjoy it while it lasts. And so the idea that like they're on the cover of the newspaper and they're like, I'm the, I'm the king of New York because I'm on this newspaper right now. Like that is a very, very New York attitude. It's yeah. kind of like, it's kind of like ironic, but it's also kind of not. And like they even, they even say it, they're like tomorrow they might wrap fishes in it, but at least we were famous for one whole minute. Uh-huh. Like it's per- like they know, you know, it's perfect. It's like they're not really the king of New York, but like in a moment, anyone can feel like the king of New York and this is it for the newsies. Um, yeah, going with the newsies, going with king of New York, like, n- like no question. It's a fun song and newsies is very underrated. So yeah, I, I think that it's a good song. I just don't know that I associate it as much with Disney because the movie wasn't very well received and the movie's not good. It's not good. The Broadway show is mm. good, but the movie is not, is not that great. Um, I already know what Joey's going to say. Uh, I'm going to go with candle on the water because I love that song. And I think I'm the opposite of you. I've, I never listened or heard any of these songs for like Pete's Dragon's soundtrack as a whole as an underrated soundtrack to me because I, never knew it until probably doing this podcast like i i just wasn't in tune with peach dragon i didn't have anybody around me that knew the movie played the songs so i think that for especially for like a disney longing love song underrated for sure um i'm going candle on the water which means to wrap up this episode joey you are going to break the tie well i just said i was going to be consistent in all of my tiebreakers this one's kind of inconsistent because i agree that candle on the water is more of a disney song Oh, what? Um, oh. But but I like Newsies way more, and I okay. like this song way more. Um, okay. So it's like, do I take my personal preference and pass Newsies on, or do I speak for the people on <laughs> Candle on the Water and give this wonderful demographic what they voted for? I mean, they voted for Candle on the Water higher right, I mean, than Newsies. I think Candle on the Water is more of a Disney song than Newsies. Okay. But we're going to put we're going to put Newsies through. Yeah, I know. Oh, Why even tease me like that? We're going to put Why? Newsies through. I mean, it's great. And Yeah, we're not going to talk about the movie. We can talk about the Tonys and this song is great. All right. So, in the next episode, it will be the Elite 8 featuring the number 1 Strange Things from Toy Story versus the number 8 Stand Out from a Goofy Movie. Down the brackets, number four with a smile and a song from Snow White versus the number 12, the next right thing from Frozen 2. Across the brackets, the number 15, Not in Nottingham from Robin Hood versus the number seven, Little April Shower from Bambi. And rounding out the Elite Eight, it is the number 14, Heffalumps and Woozles versus the number 11, King of New York, Joey. Thank you so much for joining us here on Mouse Madness for this first part. We look forward to having you back for part two. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks for th- thanks for carrying me and letting me do a vibe check on all of these. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everyone. Well, you know how to reach us. Uh, do you have something to say about these underrated Disney songs? Did we miss one? I'm sure we did. Please reach out to us. 
Email us at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Discord, Facebook. All of those channels are linked in the description of the podcast. We'd love to have you. <sighs> Y'all, I just, I don't know. I don't feel great after this episode. I, I, I feel like I'd rather be shiny.